I believe that putting our attention in intention and emotion on an outcome creates pragmatic resistance of man-made constructive time, as well as slows down the relativity of time, which is emotionally draining. This is The Playbook. What advice do you have? Um, you know, I wish I could be in front of a publisher and pitching my idea, but going the traditional route, traditional route, what advice do you have to get in front of the right people in order to possibly get um, a book published? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, there's several different routes today and it's just determinative upon your objective. So the number one thing to ask about, you know, trying to find a publisher is why, right? Why do you want a publisher? Um, and so, you know, I've had uh, my last book published by McGraw-Hill and had it in advance and, you know, it was my dream and all that. But the truth is I get far more impact and far more profitable from the earlier books that I did where I self-published it. And actually one I took back from a publisher uh, because if I'm going to put the effort in and the marketing effort, uh, and I believe the best marketing of a book is the book itself. So a good book, if you put it into enough hands, people will buy it. And so, you know, I think the number one mistake people make is they romanticize, you know, this idea of Simon, Simon Schuster, Random House, McGraw Hill, whatever it is, they romanticize what it's like to have a publisher uh, without knowing what that actually means. Uh, because a lot of times it means that you now are limited and determined upon, you know, my philosophy is the only people that should be published are people that have an extraordinary audience. If you have a big audience of millions of people, then, you know, it's smart to publish it because you have the distribution already and people will buy the books and you don't have to give it away to build your audience or community. Otherwise, you know, I believe in building a community by the quality of uh, content you have, the value deliver, and then it will be delivered to the many. And it's uh, worked for me and many of those who have mentored uh, to get out of the ego-based side of, you know, being published. Um, it's not all it's made up to be, but just like anything else, know your own timing, your own risk tolerance, your own objectives, and make sure that the publisher is aligned with what you want. Thank you, David. Thank you. So let's go over to Nick Laser. Happy, happy Monday, Dave and Colleen. Thank you both for the uh, opportunity to uh, ask my question here. Hope you guys had an incredible weekend as well. Um, Dave, one thing from my end that I'm focusing in on, especially this week, is kind of improving and just leaning in on my sales skills. Um, and I know that you've talked about previously in the past, your five steps to selling. Um, and I would love it if you could just take me through those steps um, just so I can gain some clarity and take some notes as well. Yeah, no, you know, I think, you know, uh, there are five stages of selling and people try to do all the stages at once or they skip certain stages. So the way that I've broken it down and many people break it down in similar ways and explain it in different ways. Uh, but for me, the first step or stage is to stimulate interest. Uh, we can change the entire numerical statistical success of selling by understanding stimulating interest. The number one way that I can impact a salesperson in the success they're having is to succeed in having more people call them back. And in order to have people call you back, email you back, DM you back, or reach back uh, in any aspect uh, is to stimulate interest. And stimulating interest is different than selling. 
stimulating interest is shifting a paradigm to understand how to create the compelling event in order to effectuate an action of giving you an opportunity to find number one, if they have an open mind, and two, uh, to ask open-ended questions to determine how you could be of service or value or someone could be of service or value to you. And so for me, understanding stimulating interest is shifting the paradigm of calling someone and getting them uh, to be, or for you to be of interest in what they do. So the easiest way that I do is I call and tell someone either, I'd like to buy your product service or solution, or I know someone that would like to buy your product service solution. Both are true, determinative upon price. Um, And so I have found that, you know, just the mere aspect of having someone call you back will increase your statistical success greatly. So when they call back, ask them about their product service or solution, learn more about it, be more interested than interesting, and then ask them, would it help you if I did this? It would help you if I offered you this or if I found someone else to do this. Then you can shift or engineer and transition that interest, which is the second stage, uh, by saying, do you know anyone that can help me? And according to the value that you provide by stimulating interest, increasing sometimes nine to 10 times as many people to, or as many at bats, and then transitioning that interest, this now allows you to do the third step, which is to share a vision, to articulate the quantitative value of what you're offering, to exceed what you're asking for. Then you're about 20% of the way there when you get a yes after stimulating interest, transitioning interest using open-ended questions. And I'm happy, by the way, Nick, to send you my guide on how to ask uh, in these five stages of sales, but how to ask these open-ended questions. So if you want to email me, david at dmelter.com, I'll be happy to send you the document. But the 80% point of what we really want to do is manage and develop a vision, utilizing a go-no-go plan in making sure that we are equal to what we promise to do. Because if not exceeding expectations, if we meet expectations, our product service or solution will thrive. People will be ecstatic about what we do. They will be pleasantly surprised as well as understanding the value will feel as if they're doing a favor for themselves and for others by recommending your product service or solution. So the five stages integrated into the open-ended question guide of how we, number one, stimulate interest by asking someone, you know, I'm interested in what you do, buying what you have, or I know someone that's interested or wants to buy something you have, to transitioning that interest by asking them, would it be of service or value if I did this for you? And then sharing a vision by articulating the value itself and asking, do you know anyone that could help me? then utilizing a go no go plan in order to manage and develop a vision stage four and stage five is thriving when your clients are constantly getting you more clients these are the five stages of selling once again integrated with a variety of things uh, that i can send you nick so just email me david at dmelter.com nick or anybody else that wants uh, be happy to help awesome thanks so much dave i'll be sure to shoot you that email right now thank you Great. A wonderful reminder as well. If there is anybody that's interested in David's guides or exercises, his five daily practices, his selling guide, his overlap agreement, email him at david at dmelter.com. Oh, thank you so much, David and Colleen, for having me today. Um, so I very recently, a couple of weeks ago, uh, launched a new inspirational apparel brand. 
um, that is all about inspiring triumph over obstacles uh, and amplifying the stories of what we call victors. And we define victors as people who overcome setbacks and achieve their goals through grit and determination. So David, you've had this, you have this amazing career and I'm wondering who, who are your victors and how do they inspire you to be victorious in your life and business? You know, I've been blessed to be around many victors, but not aware of it. And some <laughs> through uh, the lessons I've learned in the journey I've created, uh, I have now acknowledged one of those most importantly is my mom, uh, an extraordinary woman who raised six kids uh, as a single mom, you know, packed our dinner in a paper bag, uh, you know, for so she could work two jobs. Um, but then I've been blessed as well with my high school football coach was a victor and my college football coach was a victor. And then my first vice president at West Publishing, Lou Lombardi. And uh, then, of course, uh, Lee Steinberg and then Warren Moon. Uh, these are some of the victors in my life. And a victor to me is not only someone that sits in a situation uh, that I want to be in, but they're willing to be a mentor, a coach and a teacher a mentor giving me directions to get to where they are or further than they are, uh, a coach to bring out the best in me, but also a teacher with the capability, the time and the effort to explain it to me so that I understand it. And so these people and several others in my life are the victors that are the coaches, the mentors and the teachers that have allowed me to learn the lessons so that I myself can not only do my best, but learn more lessons and have fun to empower other people to do the same so that I can be a mentor, a teacher, and a coach. And uh, it's so important for all of us to have these victors in our lives. And it's okay if you don't acknowledge them until uh, later on when you've learned lessons and learned to appreciate and acknowledge uh, some of them. Some of our greatest victors are people uh, that we didn't like at the time, that we thought were you know, somehow not looking out for us because they actually were truthful and honest and constructive. And, uh, you know, I have many stories myself of, you know, trying to be a mentor, trying to be a teacher and a coach by being honest. And it took years until the person called me back and said, Hey, I just want to thank you. I know I didn't uh, acknowledge it at the time. In fact, you know, I may not have treated you fairly because I didn't know what I didn't know. But now that I know what I know, I can see what you were trying to do with the good intentions you have. So look for victors in your life, coaches, mentors, and teachers. Amazing. Thank you so much, David. Um, all right, Waid, welcome to the clubhouse. What's your question? Thanks, Colleen. Uh, it's Wajid, actually. Um, but um, I, yeah, my question is, I, I have to recruit people for a magazine as an editor. And uh, the, the writers don't get paid. How do I convince people to work and not get paid? <laughs> so I don't think you convince people. Um, what you do is provide value uh, that exceeds what you're asking for. And so when we can put into context the value that you provide, and you know, I, I've had an internship program for over 22 years now, uh, providing uh, different values to people, whether it be relationship capital, skills, or knowledge, or opportunity uh, that exceed, you know, whether it's, you know, what what I'm asking for with low salaries, free, or whatever else. And I think 
that when you look and and consider it value of being able to articulate the value that you're providing, uh, then they can make a determination, determine their timing and risk tolerance uh, of whether or not they want to participate um, in the activity that you're offering, uh, whether it be activity you get paid for, activity you don't get paid for. And I think this distinction is lost a lot of times when we're focused in on uh, just the amount of activity that we get paid for, or the amount that we're getting paid in that activity that we get paid for, we lose focus in on the bigger picture, which is value. And the key to everything that I do is to be able to practice and articulate the value of what I give to exceed what I'm asking for, regardless of whether there's payment involved or not. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, usually I... I tap into the because what we offer in the magazine is, is you know advertising like you you, you would be essentially um, like your bio would be there your links to your social media device accounts would be there uh, but that's it I guess but like you said it, it depends on value and, yeah, and thank you because I've been struggling recently to to get people from from my country on board to give them a platform and they don't want it they just want to be paid whereas people on Clubhouse. They want a platform. They want to 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 write once a month, and and get get noticed because there is there is a strong readership. We have a readership of over six million people, but we but we don't we don't pay our writers and we barely pay our editors. But that's another topic. So thank you, David. Appreciate it. Sure, thank you. And there's a lot of great value in that. And the more we practice articulating the value, sometimes we know our business so well and we understand the value so well that we forget to practice articulating it. We just assume that people see the opportunity and the value that we have as closely or as clearly as we do. And so that's why I really highly suggest for everyone to practice uh, not only identifying the value, but articulating what you've identified and not just assume that everybody sees what we already know. Does that sound fair? Yeah, that sounds yeah, that sounds really fair. Uh, thank you so much for your time, um, and have a lovely evening. Uh, I'm gonna go practice articulating that value. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Colleen, I think I have time for one more question. I want to thank everyone. Make sure you're sharing the content and doing good deeds with everyone. Bring more people in. We do this every Monday at three p.m. Pacific time, and I'm just blessed to have Colleen and the team here, and so many great people with so many great questions. Colleen, who'd like to ask the last question? Wonderful. We're going to bring up Annette for the last question, and then we'll close at the room. Hi, David. Um, we recently lost Dave, uh, Bob Proctor, and I was wondering what the chief lessons you learned from Bob during these lifetimes. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. They, yes, Bob Proctor was a not only a mentor of mine, but he was the biggest contributor to uh, the charity, the Unstoppable Foundation, which I'm the chairman of. And we're doing a huge gala uh, May 4th as well. And I'll be doing a room in honor of Bob Proctor, a VIP room where I'll be answering questions and telling lessons that I've learned. But I think, you know, two, two lessons I've learned. One, uh, that giving is not trading. Uh, this changed my life. It led me on a path of understanding giving and receiving our one of what it meant to be abundant in order to appreciate what I had, to have value to it, acknowledge it by not only giving away, but not creating interference when it's manipulated from me, lied, lost, or stolen from me, 
but simply without trade negotiation or scarcity to truly ask for more, knowing that I don't live in a zero-sum world. I live in a value-add world. And that giving and receiving are both adding value to the world. And this was an important catalyst and many, many lessons uh, that I learned. The second lesson was actually one uh, about not agreeing with Bob. Uh, I had held Bob in such a pedestal, being a great mentor of mine, a huge impact in my life. And, you know, he would always say, you know, hey, uh, you know, think about exactly what you want, the exact amount. And I just disagreed. And I never spoke up until later in our relationship when I explained to him that I thought that I had a better philosophy than knowing exactly when and how much putting time, space, and quantification of man-made constructs that limit us on what I'm trying to manifest. I talked about utilizing what I do today, which is minimums, and to talk about speed instead of time, so that I'd like to double the amount of money I make as fast as I can, is much easier to attain with less resistance than saying I want to make a million dollars by December 31st, 2022. I believe that putting our attention in intention and emotion on an outcome creates pragmatic resistance of man-made constructive time, as well as slows down the relativity of time, which is emotionally draining. And so what I learned from that, the greatest lesson, was that Bob was extremely open to learning himself and that I had taught him a better philosophy, a better lesson, and something that he had taught for 50 years. He changed the way he looked at it and actually agreed with the way that I articulated the idea of manifestation, of knowing what you want, who you can help, who can help you, how to get it done, and prioritizing without limitations, resistance, without fear, scarcity, avoid shortages or obstacles that we create by interjecting or focusing man-made constructive values like time, space, or quantities. And so those are the two greatest lessons uh, but I probably have learned hundreds, if not thousands from him. I've read every book. I've went to his lectures and have been blessed to be on a TV show on WGN called The World's Greatest Motivators. And when I appeared on that show with Bob Proctor, uh, beyond Mary Morrissey and Jack Canfield and John Asaroff, uh, I was just pinching myself to think that in even what world would I consider that someone would uh, put me in the same sentence or the same stage or the same TV show? Uh, we also so were in uh, Think and Grow Rich, the legacy, the movie, and then Netflix, Beyond the Secret, the second uh, sequel to The Secret, the movie. Um, so just been blessed by the man to be around him, surrounding myself with the right people, the right ideas. He's a testament of how we should live our lives, um, and his legacy will live on for forever. Uh, so I appreciate you bringing up, Bob. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone. And I just have one last se sentence. So remember, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. 